Episode 93 of the Pilot to Pilot podcast takes off now. My name is Brittany Wildrum and I fly 206s and 207s in Homer, Alaska. AOPA's Pilot Protection Services is made for pilots who love to fly. Welcome to Pilot Protection Services, where our medical certification staff, legal services staff, and panel attorneys take on the struggles that all pilots deal with. From staying out of trouble with the FAA, becoming a better pilot, to staying healthy so you can stay in the left seat longer. We're proud to help over 66,000 AOPA members keep doing what they love most every day. Check them out before your next flight at aopa.org backslash PPS. What is going on, AV Nation, and welcome back to episode 93 of the Pilot the Pilot podcast. My name is Justin Seams, and I am your host. Today, I am talking with an Alaskan bush pilot, a bear guide, and just an overall cool person, Brittany from the Instagram account, Brittany Spins. Now, she is someone that everyone should be following, looking up to, because her story is just incredible. I mean, she left Southern, warm, sunny California to go up to cold and wet and snowy Alaska, which offers some amazing things and some great flying as well. Like I said earlier, she's a bear guide and an Alaskan bush pilot. So if that doesn't sell this episode, I don't know what else will. I mean, that is just the coolest thing that you can ever call yourself. So Brittany, you're doing something pretty cool. Aviation, if you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a review on iTunes. You can check us out on Patreon. Special shout out to our Patreon of the week, Stuart Roderick. He is our $20 Patreon of the week. So Stuart, you're the man. I really, really appreciate it. Aviation, also so go ahead and follow us on Instagram. Shout it out to everyone at Pilot the Pilot, trying to get those followers up, trying to catch Chris Palmer from Angle of Attack. Well, I also want to give a thanks to for letting us borrow his studio. That's right. They both live in Homer, Alaska. It's like the smallest world in the world that they are just together in Homer, Alaska. So pretty wild and pretty cool. But uh, Aviation, thank you guys so much for taking the time to listen to today's episode. Please share it with all your friends and go ahead and listen to Brittany's episode. So without any further ado, I want to introduce... Brittany from Brittany Spins. Brittany, what is going on? Welcome to the Pilot the Pilot podcast. Thank you for having me. No problem. Excited to have you on. It's gonna be fun. Yep, it will. So, <laughs> so first thing <laughs> I ask everyone is uh, why aviation? What was the inspiration for you to get involved with aviation? My inspiration. Um, I have wanted to be a pilot since I was six years old. My dad got up to solo um, back in the 70s, and my grandpa was a pilot. Um, He passed away before I was able to ever talk aviation with him, but I kind of believe that aviation is just in my blood. Yeah. What? uh, So you're six years old, and you said, was it your dad was he soloed in the 70s? You said, did he fly anymore after that, like when you were younger at all? Or what was kind of your, I guess, what when you're six, how did you know about aviation? Would you go to the airport? Would your dad tell some stories about your grandpa, or how did that work? Um, my dad never told stories about my grandpa, really. He just, you know, he had a few stories. He worked in a uh, Unicom tower up in uh, Colorado. So he would tell me a few stories about that. And I was just six years old, sitting, listening to him. And I was like, you know, that sounds cool. I'm going to be a pilot. You know, like little six years old, little six year old, you know, uh, maybe they'll be a pilot. Maybe they won't be. Maybe they'll be like an astronaut or something. I just stuck stuck with it the whole whole time I grew up. That's cool. Did your friends think you're crazy when you're like, I want to be a pilot? Um, 
you know, I don't think I really advertised it that much when I wasn't flight training. I just kind of, you know, if people ask me what I wanted to do, it's just, oh, I want to be a pilot. And that, that was that. <laughs> Where did you start doing your training? I was a, um, it was my second year in college. I was at junior college at Moore Park. Um, and actually, I think it was my first year. So I was 19 or 20, 19 years old. And, um, something had just happened and I was like, you know, I, I just need to start. Like I had been saving for, uh, flight trading since I got my first job working retail at the Oaks mall. And, um, yeah, so I just saved up and I was like, you know, I've, I think I have enough money saved. I just need to do it. I need to go for it. I'm just waiting around. I don't even know what I'm waiting around for. So I think my biggest regret in aviation is my biggest slash only regret is uh, not starting earlier. It's funny you say you, you worked retail. I worked at the Apple store when I was doing my training. So I worked retail too and we were doing it. <laughs> it was That's terrible. so funny. Yeah. yeah <laughs> I would never want to work in retail ever again. Yeah. Well, you hear the same six songs on repeat when you uh, work at Hollister. <laughs> so, but I, I still hear some of those songs. And I'm like, oh man, flashback. It's just so cool that you you had this dream and you had this this goal of yours and all of a sudden you just either, you know, you can either keep waiting and waiting and waiting and put it off and the fear of maybe doing it and failure and stuff like that, but you just decided to do it. And that I think that's really cool. Yeah. Um I I wanna say I was all in once I started doing it, but um my flight instructor at the time, Chris Gilbert, he was awesome. However, his work schedule was kind of sporadic as well. And I was still in full-time school and working. I don't remember if it was one or two jobs, but, um, so it was just really hard to coordinate times to meet. And, uh, you know, I want to say with weather and stuff, but I can't really say that since it was Southern California. Um, <laughs> yeah, you can't but, complain you know, about like, the weather in Southern California. It's yeah, not allowed living up in Alaska. Now I really can't. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I mean, I want to say I was all in, but I wasn't, Totally. And then after school ended, like I was done with college, I really started to dive into it. I got my first job uh, driving a fuel truck with Western Cardinal at Camarillo Airport. And I loved that job. I was just able to network and meet people and um, just connect with different people from, you know, many different uh, areas of aviation. That was pretty cool. Um, and I think that's kind of when I started to like fully submerse myself. And I was like, yeah, like, this is awesome, you know? Absolutely. Did you, so when you first started this goal of yours and you first started training and you first dove all in, like you said, maybe except for the weather, even though it's Southern California, like we said, but yeah. uh, when you first went in, did you have goals of being an airline pilot or did you kind of know the track you wanted to go on? No, actually, I never wanted to be an airline pilot. Um, I have always just wanted to love what I do. Um, I've actually had a dream of going to fly in Africa, being a missionary pilot. Um, and then when I was flight training, that goal kind of seemed unattain unattainable at the time. Um, just because, you know, like 1500 or 3000 hours seemed like so many. And here I am with like a hundred hours. And I'm like, man, that seems so far off. Um, and then they require like Bible credits too. And at this point in my training, I was like, I really just don't want to go back to school for that. Uh, it's just going to be more money. And I really want to spend my money on my flight training 
instead of going back to school just for right now. So, um, that was kind of my goal. And then that kind of transformed into, okay, you know, maybe that's something I can do in the future, but right now I still want to go fly the back country, fly somewhere cool, be adventurous. And that's how it kind of transformed into, uh, I want to go be a bush pilot in Alaska. That's really that cool. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, it does. It sounds awesome to everyone. I feel like everyone kind of has that, that not necessarily desire, but maybe the want to do that. But the goal for most people getting aviation is just to become an airline pilot, become a por- corporate pilot. And once you get your time to be able to go to the bush, maybe you're kind of like, well, now I can apply for the airlines and I can make money. I'd rather make money, you know? So it's really cool that that you had that goal and you're doing that because I think that's, honestly, that's, I mean, that's the most fun flying you can possibly do. You can ask anyone that flies 787, the plane I fly, whatever it is, they miss that kind of flying and they would definitely love that opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. I've always been a firm believer of you're not loving what you do and you're getting paid a lot of money. Is it really worth it? Cause I'd much rather be loving what I do and hardly be able to call it a job and be making a lot less money than, you know, the opposite. Yeah. So. That's cool. Because I mean, not many people can really do that. You know, it's hard to turn down that money. I mean, I even have the, that battle right now. Like I love what I do. I love flying the corporate life and I love the corporate world, but there's always more money made in the airline. So it's like a constant thing. It's like, well, do I go to the airlines? Cause I can make more money or do I stay in corporate because I love it, you know? So it's really interesting, the battle that everyone has in their mind and how they choose to go about it. Yeah. That's cool. Um, talk a little bit more about your training. So you kind of mentioned that there's difficulties with the schedule and you claimed air quotes that there's bad weather in Southern California. So <laughs> <laughs> what? Oh goodness. I'm, I'm going to get roasted for that. I know that. <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, Chris got hired with the regionals. Um, so he was like, you know, I'm really not going to have time. Let me refer you to CP Aviation in Santa Paula. I was like, all right, you know, it's kind of scary going to an actual school. And, um, so I did, I went there and I finished up my private there. It, uh, still took a little bit of time because of like school and stuff, but, uh, it, it was definitely a very good experience, especially flying in the non-towered environment. And it is a very high traffic airport as well. It can get extremely busy. Um, and there's a lot of people that fly in there too that sometimes don't do their research on the non-standard traffic pattern. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Santa Paula, but it's really it's a really small little airport that's kind of snug up against this giant hill. So there's really no room for a downwind 45 degree entry. So you really got to look at the POH before, or not the POH, the uh, AFD before you go in there. And everyone checks uh, the AFD before they go flying, right? <laughs> You know, if you're, I don't know, <laughs> no, I'm just giving you a hard time. Least. Come on, <laughs> yeah, right. I'm just giving you a hard time. No, I mean, yeah, yeah. It, that's just a good point though, because being a pilot, you go to so many different airports, and what works at one airport is not going to work at the other one. So it's a lot of a right. lot of times you need to get into the the nitty gritty details of really how that airport operates to make sure you're operating safely and operating the way where everyone can knows what you're doing, so they can kind of build a picture of where all the planes are. Right. So did you like um, towered airports versus non-towered or do you not really have a preference? Um, you know, now that I've had a solid taste of both, I have to say that I kind of like the non-towered environment better. Um, just cause there's a little more freedom. (laughs) Um, the first time I went back to California to visit after moving up here in April, I think it was the end of September when I went back. And I had accumulated over 
500 hours um, up here. And I went back down and I flew one time and I wanted to tell the tower, like, I've accumulated 500 hours. This is the first time I've been cleared to land in that much time. I didn't say that, but I thought it. And you it should have. You know, it's just kind of, <laughs> I think it was kind of busy, which is why I didn't say it. Like, Camarillo is pretty busy, but um, yeah, it, it's just kind of funny. That's really so. funny. Hey guys, this is my 500th hour. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> my, my, like, full, my thousandth hour, I, I'd have accumulated 500 up here. Oh, but, I um, gotcha. Out of Homer is uh, non-towered. We've got a flight service station, but you know, we fly across, across Cook Inlet and to the villages across Kachemak Bay and none of that stuff is towered. Well, I mean, yeah. So I hadn't been cleared to land. I've never been cleared to land in Alaska. That's hilarious. <laughs> so I don't fly up an anchorage or anything. It's all pretty much local stuff, but yeah. <laughs> That's going to be like the tagline of this podcast. I've never been cleared to land in Alaska. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> that's cool. I mean, that's wild. Yep, yeah. Yep. It's just a totally different world up there. Do you think your training it in is. California prepared you for the flying in Alaska or when you went up to Alaska, was it like brand new zero hour pilot trying to figure out what's going on? I think I had the possible best training experience in California that I could have had for being California, like to prepare me for Alaska. Like I had some, I have some, uh, pilot friends in California that have had obviously more experience than me flying off field in the bush and stuff like, like Dustin Moser, for example, like, man, he's a private pilot with like 3000 hours and he goes and lands like anywhere and everywhere. His, uh, his little mini wagon, I'll take him. And, uh, man, like, yeah, uh, he's definitely someone I look, I look up to for that. But, um, yeah. And then, uh, Michael Mason, the owner of, uh, Mason wing walking who's based up in Washington. He does some business down in Santa Paula sometimes, but he took me up in his two Oh five and at night and we did some Alaska flying type stuff before I came up here. And he was like, this is what you're going to be doing up up uh, in Alaska. And I was like, cool. Like this is, you know, like really encouraging, but like, you know, this is what you're going to be doing kind of serious down to the point, you know, and uh, just some other friends that are incredible pilots take me flying let me fly and uh, great experience. It's really who you surround yourself with and who you choose to surround yourself with and the course of training that you choose to take. I don't think I, I don't think I would have uh, been as well prepared if I had gone to a 141 school and, you know, cause a lot of those, a lot of those 141 schools are more geared towards, you know, getting people ready to fly for the airlines. And when that's not what you want to do, you know, like don't do it. <laughs> Don't, don't fly for, don't go take lessons at a 141 school if you don't want to go to the airlines. I mean, yeah, That's it's a, it's a really as simple as that, you know, like and you might be able to build your time the fastest, but if you're not trying to go to the airlines and what's the point. Yeah. And it's just really expensive too. Like, I mean, if you can pay as you go or like save up and then just knock it out all, all at once. Um, I think that's a much more practical way to do things, especially, you know, like, uh, when you're trying to not go into debt. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Which is hard to do in aviation. It's really hard to do. It's really hard to do. But if you're patient, you know, I'm, I'm lucky that I got an early enough start to where I could take my time and enjoy each step and kind of save and pay as I went. And, um, I'm very, very, very blessed that I was able to finish all my ratings without any debt. How are you able to do it? If you're only asking, did you have to take some time off to kind of go back to work and save up more money or be able to save up enough money to, like you said, just pay for it and do it? 
Um, I actually lived at home for 24 years, so I wasn't paying rent. Um, so I, I lived at home until I moved up to Alaska. Um, and then, like I said before, I saved up for my very first job. Uh, for flight training and my mom taught me to be very frugal with my money so like when all my friends were taking trips everywhere I'd be like no like no I don't want to spend that much money like like how many hours is this worth in flight time (laughs) to go do this whatever it was uh whatever it was so um yeah I missed out on a lot of stuff down there but it in the long run, it was totally, totally worth it. How hard was um, that for you in the moment though? Cause in the moment when you see your friends, like, I'm just going to like, I don't know if this is happening, but they're like, when I was doing my training, I had friends like going to like the Greece and going like all over to these really cool places. And it was just like, what the heck? Like we're 25 years old. How are you able to do this? And I was kind of like a FOMO type thing. Was it similar to you? But you, but like you had the greater goal in front of you. You knew what you're saving for. Yeah, it was the greater goal for sure. Like, I mean, when you're that young and in love with aviation as much as I was, it it's like, you know, aviation always trumps whatever anything else, whatever other adventure was about to happen. It's like just yeah. want to go flying, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, when so you mentioned earlier about like surrounding yourself with those people and you so you made sure to find people that prepare you for your next step that prepared you for Alaska. How did you find those people? How did you surround yourself with the right people? Because people listen to this and they always hear me tell them to, to get a mentor or to find good people, find good people in aviation and find friends in aviation. How did you go about doing that? Would you just go to the airport? Was it when you worked the line job? Is that how you got all the friends and the contacts? <laughs> um, yeah, the line job was definitely part of it. That was my first step into um, just the aviation world, like being fully submersed. Um, I met a lot of people that way, a lot of friends. And, um, I got my next job actually at Santa Paula airport. So when you spend that much time at an airport, you meet a lot of people and you become really close with a lot of friends as well that are also spending a lot of their time at the airport. And then when you're like, when you're at the airport for that long too, I mean, even if you're just hanging out, going to watch airplanes, you know, the aviation community is so friendly. It's like, how do you not make friends when you just go to the airport, you know? Like when I, when I would live back in California, every Saturday I would drive aimlessly to Camarillo airport and like just every, every Saturday and, uh, just go hang out. I would see what was going on. Cause there's always something going on on Saturdays, whether it was like the B25 out flying or like who knows what, like there was always events at the CAF going on too. Just everyone was always at the airport on Saturdays. And it's kind of like one of those FOMO moments. Like, you know, that's what I had FOMO for is going to the airport and people being there and having fun without me. Um, But yeah, I think uh, another good um, resource of finding mentors too is um, online. You know, like we have Instagram and Facebook and there's a lot of Facebook aviation groups as well. so, I, I mean, I, I know that we've both met a lot of our friends through the social media world as well. Yeah. It's I think really that's crazy. Awesome. When I was younger, everyone mm-hmm. told me not to talk to strangers online. And now all I do is talk to strangers online. <laughs> Same. It's wild. <laughs> it's a weird place. <laughs> yeah. But it's a great way to meet people and connect, you know, yeah. like. Yeah, yeah, it's a great it's, way it's to awesome. kind of get a group of people that have a lot of, that have one similar thing in common or maybe a lot of things in common. But it's a great way to meet people, like you said. Yeah, absolutely. 
So when you were kind of, you mentioned that you wanted to be a missionary pilot in that way and you kind of thought that that was really far away and kind of hard to do. Is your feeling now that maybe it's more attainable or is that still something that you think you might not be able to do? Yeah, I definitely feel a little bit closer to that goal. Um, So I actually am going to start taking a Bible class here in Homer. We have a uh, Bible Institute in town. Ironically, our little five, 7,000 people town, there's a Bible Institute. (laughs) I didn't even know there was that many people uh, there. I thought it was like 500 people. Oh, no, 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 no. Uh, It's a major city, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we're actually on the road system. Wow. uh, Yep. Yep. Very end of the highway. You guys have a Costco or a Target? I wish. (laughs) (laughs) That's uh, you have to go up to Anchorage for that. That's about an hour flight um, or a five hour drive. Dang, it's that far. Wow. Yeah. The only thing that you'd probably know here in town is we've got a Starbucks, Subway, and a McDonald's. Everything else is pretty much like family owned. It used to be uh, Olmers, but now it's, oh, Ace, Ace Hardware. Oh. We've got Ace Hardware. Dang, y'all made it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Ace Hardware, McDonald's, Starbucks, and Subway. That's crazy. That's, it. <laughs> That's all that you would know, at least. We've got some really good uh, family owned places. That's kind of cool. Fish though. tacos. Yeah. Uh, Alibi, shout out. <laughs> yeah, it's great. You'll have to come up and visit sometime. I want to for some, sure. Uh, it's definitely, I want to yeah. go flying up there and see it. It definitely looks really cool. Good. Come hang out with Chris and I. Help, uh, or you could collab with him and come hang out at uh, Smoky Bay with me. <laughs> That'd be cool. I don't know what that is, but it sounds great. <laughs> well, that's where I work. Yeah. <laughs> Smoky Bay. <laughs> is it Smoky Bay yeah, like aviation? Is it? Huh? Smoky Bay Air. Cool. Smoky Bay Air. Nice. Yeah. That's cool. We'll have to. I would definitely want to. Chris needs to stay in one place and quit moving around so much. Yeah. Yeah. I'll have to take you on a ride along or something. I'd be down. Cool. We've got uh, one of our runways, uh, Nan Wallach. It is a curved runway. Um, so that was the most challenging airport or runway that I've ever learned to fly into. <laughs> definitely intimidating when I first got up here. So you are, you still have this dream of becoming like a missionary pilot and you're kind of going for that. And if I guess Alaska is probably the best place to be to prepare you for that kind of flying, right? Um, yes, I, I would think so. I, the flying's very challenging up here and also humbling at the same time. Um, I definitely couldn't think of another place that I would want to be. What's the most challenging part about flying up there? I think the most challenging part about flying up here from flying in California is definitely the weather. Yeah. Does it change as fast as what people say it does? Like you wait like five minutes and a snow squall comes through and then 10 minutes later it's clear and then it's cloudy. And is that really true or is it a little more predictable? Um, No, it's actually true. Uh, The other, the other day I was uh, going into Nanwell, like one of the villages that we fly into and it was probably a three mile visibility or something, maybe three to five. I'm not sure. It was definitely, you know, above minimums, but, um, landed there and, uh, just kind of, you know, unloaded the plane, did my job. And then I looked up and I was like, Hey, I can't see that hill over there. And you know, the hill's like a mile away. So I was like, I think I'm going to hang here for a few minutes. 
And about 10 to 15 minutes later, that uh, cleared up well, well above what we needed to get out of there. And um, and then there was another time I was going into Port Graham and I was turning, turning the corner to go into the into the bay. And I was at 1800 feet with about mm, four to five mile visibility. And 15 minutes later, when I came out of that village, I was at 500 feet with about two or three miles visibility coming around that same corner. And it improved a couple minutes later, but you know, it, it's true what they say about Alaska. It's pretty insane. That is crazy. What, um, obviously, I mean, like, how do you prepare for that? How do you, how do you know what the weather is going to be? I know it's a little bit different than say like the, the main 48. Is there, what are you mainly talking to flight service? Do they kind of have like a, like a high was up there? How do you know when the weather's changing when you're in the air? Um, well, we, so the job that I do is, um, we fly every hour and 10 minutes into the villages. Um, it's a scheduled air service. So, um, there's three villages on the South side of Kachemike Bay. And, um, so every time, if it's like a marginal weather day, we'll come back and before, well, before we leave, we'll be checking weather. We check radar, uh, windy. And um, basically every source that we possibly can, we've got FAA weather cameras all over the state of Alaska, which is amazing. We've got one for uh, Nan Wallach and Homer, and those are extremely great resources um, doing the type of flying that we do. And, um, you know, it, it's just really safety oriented training as well. Safety oriented company and owners that really care about, you know, just the um, integrity of the company, keeping it a safe operation. There's no reason that anybody should go flying into a mountain. No reason at all. Like, like it is completely hundred percent preventable. If it's questionable, you know, we don't go, but it's also like, you know, if we can go, if legally we can go and it's not forecast to get worse and stuff, then, you know, we'll, we'll most, most likely be going, but sometimes we'll have conversations with our uh, chief pilot, you know, should we be going? What do you think about these conditions? Because obviously I'm no expert on Alaska flying. I just got here in April and to me, everyone else who flies up here has more experience than me. So I'll be talking to them about what their opinions are. And I'm not saying like, I'm a terrible pilot. I'm just saying like, you know, I'm not going to walk around with my head all high in the sky and I can you know, do that. I know more yeah. than you. I'll be fine. <laughs> I can show them. Yeah. <laughs> there's no point to it, you know, because we're all learning and, uh, it can get intimidating out there. Was there a, was uh, there a learning curve between you started when you first started there to where you are now, where you became comfortable flying in those conditions? Like when you first were maybe, um, on the line flying by yourself or even flying with someone next to you, was there like that moment of like, man, this is kind of uncomfortable to where now you're more comfortable? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, like I said, we don't get weather like we do up here down in California. Um, California, it's like sunny and 55 at least all year round. So, (laughs) Um, but yeah, uh, when I first got up here, I flew with my chief pilot a lot. He is a phenomenal instructor. Um, He's challenged me and, um, you know, there has been in the past little spurts of like, okay, it's been sunny for like two weeks. And now it's like, uh, you know, marginal, uh, ceilings in relatively low visibility. You know, 
Mr. Chief Pilot, will you please come fly with me? I, uh, I'm on the edge of my comfort zone here and I don't want to be taking passengers if it's been a while, you know, like that's kind of what it was like, um, more towards the beginning right now. I'm a lot more comfortable. Um, I think that's smart though. Discussions. I don't uh, think a lot of people actually do that. I think a lot of people kind of think that they're on their own and maybe they don't know they can reach out. So I definitely think that's smart of you. And I think that shows that you're a good pilot and you're, you're willing to kind of, some people might be afraid of the embarrassment of going to the chief pilot, but you're not, and you were able to ask for help. So I think that's great. It's, uh, yeah, less embarrassing to ask for help than it is to, you know, just make a complete fool of yourself. If you fly into something and, you know, something ends up happening. I mean, obviously sometimes there's things that are out of our control, but you know, it's, it's more airing on the side of safety. What are you guys flying around mostly up there? Is it, I've seen through following your Instagram, I see a bunch of cargo and I also see there's like opportunity to take passengers. So is it a mix? Is it um, more cargo than people or is it more people than cargo? Um, I'd say it's a very healthy mix. So we fly a lot of store freight and we fly a lot of mail and we fly a lot of villagers too. And then during the summer as well, we fly a lot of tourists because we do the bear viewing. Um, across Cook Inlet. That's cool. So, <laughs> yeah, it's a really it's a really fun mix of things. That I can only imagine. Have you ever flown crickets or anything crazy like that? Crickets. Yeah, when I did, uh, we with a freight company I flew for in the the forty the lower forty eight, we would have to fly um, UPS or Amazon packages, and every once in a while, someone would order like a bunch of crickets, like to feed something. Oh. And we had to fly crickets. We flew bees. We flown like all this blood, like all this stuff. So I didn't oh. know if it was the same up there, or if it was like you said, just more store stuff. Um, I've never flown crickets. <laughs> um, I have flown some animals before. I've uh, flown a couple of kittens and some dogs. I've flown bunnies, and uh, we actually flew a seal. Or a sea otter last week. <laughs> oh, I was like, what? <laughs> yeah, we flew a baby sea otter last week. So that was kind of cool. Why? What happened? What was the need for it? Um, I don't even know. I They may have been transferring it to a sea life center. I don't know the full story behind that, actually. So That's pretty wild. Just yeah. like, Brittany, uh, you need to go pick up. <laughs> Pick up your load. It's a it's a sea otter, by the way. So uh, good luck. How do you strap that down? <laughs> How do you strap that down in the uh, plane? It was in a cage. Okay, I didn't know they made cage yeah, for sea otters. So <laughs> it was like a dog cage, but I actually didn't even get to fly it. Oh, it nice. was it was our company that flew it. Gotcha. So yeah, my uh, one of our other pilots flew it. How many planes do you guys so have? Next time I'll get it. Uh, we've got seven. They've got four 206s and two, four 206s and two 207s. Nice. Do you have a preference over which one you like? Um, you know, I was thinking about this the other day, actually. I think I like the 207 better uh, because I don't need a seat cushion to sit in it. <laughs> <laughs> I need a booster seat in the 206 and my passengers always make fun of me. They're like, oh, I accidentally knocked out your booster seat. It's like, it's fine. Yeah, haven't heard that one before. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> It's fine. I mean, like, I I just need a little bit of a boost to see uh, partial, just a little bit of a cowling, you know. Yeah, helpful. Yeah, so. It definitely helps. Helpful, yeah. And the two hundred seven, it's just a beast. It's awesome. What's the difference between a two hundred seven and a two hundred six? I've flown a two hundred six before. I have a couple 
hundred hours, maybe I'd have to look it up, but I have a couple hundred hours on a two six and a, an off field landing when I lost my engine in one. But other than that, I love the two six, but what's the difference oh. between a two six and wow. a two seven? <laughs> okay. Well, I want to hear that story. <laughs> um, but the difference between the 206 and the 207 is um, the 207 could carry 200 more pounds. So it's got a 3,800 max gross weight. And then um, the 206 has an IO520 versus the 207 IO550. And the 207 is a little bit longer too. Are they turbocharged or do you guys just do the normal no. aspirin? Yeah, they're just normal. Okay. Normally aspirated. Does that happen to, do you feel like sometimes you wish you had the turbocharged version or is that pretty, is that okay in Alaska? It's, I mean, I've never flown turbocharged um, anything. So actually that's a lie. I flew turbocharged once, but I didn't really fly it that much, but it's, it's kind of hard to say because I've never flown a turbocharged two or six or two or seven. So um, I really don't know, but I'm happy with what I've got. I'm very thankful <laughs> to be flying. Yeah, the absolutely. Airplanes that those, I have, are, so. those are really cool airplanes. I mean, I don't, I never even knew what a 207 was until a couple months ago, I want to say, maybe even a year ago. Someone was just like, yeah, 207. I was like, wait, you mean a 206? And they're like, no, a 207. <laughs> it's like, you, you don't know what you're talking about. It's not a real plane. And then they pulled it up. I was like, oh my gosh, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty fun. Yeah, that's cool. What, um, I uh, guess kind of question about the type of flying that you're doing. Is this kind of like a necessity for these local villages? Or do they have no other way to get these, um, the store goods or the, the baby seal into this area without like, they can't drive or is it an excess? Like, I guess what I'm trying to ask is, is this the only way for the, these villages to receive mail um, or any kind of services like that? Um, it is the most practical way. Uh, these villages are not on the road system. Um, so, I mean, they could use a boat. Um, there is a barge that goes into one of the villages like once every one or two months or something like that. Um, but it's just everything would be so much slower, especially in the winter time. Um, the harbor was frozen in for a little while, a couple weeks ago or last week or something. But uh yeah, they're like boats getting stuck trying to get out of the harbor. Man, that, that must not be fun. <laughs> no, not at all. Compared to like a couple hours on a boat ride to like a 15 to 20-ish minute flight across the bay, it's um, definitely, I would consider it as a necessity. I would too. Yeah, without a doubt. What? Uh, how many takeoff and landings do you usually get in a normal day? Ooh, that's a good one. Um, if it's a busy day, I'd say probably... In the winter, probably 20 to 30 landings. In one day? Yeah. Dang. You're just going back and forth, like 15-minute flights back to, like, so say you, like, start in base, you go to one village, come back, go to another village, and you just keep going on your scheduled routes? Yeah. So we could, like, double stop in the villages or triple stop or sometimes even quadruple stop if there's inter-village passengers. Um, and then... You know, we always go back to Homer in between each hour and 10 minutes. Um, so it's a lot of takeoffs and landings. You really learn to uh, get the hang of it. <laughs> Absolutely. And you mentioned a little bit about the curved runway and how that was the most challenging runway for you to, to figure out how to land at. Are there any other more challenging runways there? Or is every kind of village or runway or air? I don't know. You probably don't call it an airport, but wherever you're going to land, is there anyone that's more challenging than the other one or they all kind of have their own challenges? 
they've all got their own challenges. Um, it really depends on the weather conditions. Um, like Nan Wallach was definitely the most challenging when I was first starting out. Um, but you know, I've got it pretty dialed in now. Uh, so yeah, I think it just depends on the day and the current conditions. Cause you know, they're all villages and you know, they don't have like METARs or forecasts or calves or anything. Actually, that's a lie. One of them, Soldovia does. Oh, I think so you've one of the many Soldovia airports that you before. go to? Jeez. Yeah, one of the three. Yeah. So uh, Soldovia's got a METAR, but the other ones, um, Nan Wallach's got a weather cam. But Port Graham, we don't have anything for Port Graham. We don't have any type of camera that points down the bay to be able to see what the ceiling might be. Um, we're kind of just going off of, um, relatable sources, like from, like from the wider area, like from Nanwa, like Seldovia, seeing what the weather's like there and then seeing if maybe we could get into Port Graham that way. Um, but yeah. What would you say is the most satisfying part of your job? I mean, I don't know when you land, you get to interact with people like getting mail or getting their stuff, or is it just go to a handler and go somewhere else and continues on? Um, the most satisfying part of my job, I think is not being a taxi driver. Like, like I'm actually part, I'm actually part of these villagers lives, you know, like, um, there's a gentleman in Port Graham village whose son was in the hospital last month. And it's pretty cool. Cause you know, I'll see him around. I'll be like, Hey, how's your son doing? You know, like there's not a lot of pilots that get to do that with their passengers and um, just having personal relationships. Like there's this little girl who I fly every weekend back and forth from Soldovia. And, um, I flew her yesterday actually. And she's having her birthday this week. And she was telling me how she got like puzzles and stuff for her birthday with her dad. And it's just really sweet. Cause I mean, I get to see these passengers all the time and, you know, we know each other and it's always funny seeing them out in town too. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, like, wait, you're the working. pilot. <laughs> Oh, wait, you have a life outside of work? Yeah. It's like, uh, can you, you're going to bring that stuff tomorrow by three, right? You're all right, huh? <laughs> oh, yeah. By the way, I don't live there. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Was there a, a big culture shock coming from Southern California to Alaska? Um, yes, I think I think there was a little bit of a culture shock. Um, I adjusted, however, a lot more quickly than I had anticipated. Um. The summer did not get as hot as California does. Um, However, it was a very hot summer. Like Anchorage had record temperatures. What's a record Um, temperature for Anchorage? Like 70 or 80? Oh, gosh. Oh, no. I think it got into the 90s this past summer. Oh, wow. That's hot. Yeah. Yeah. It was really hot. And um, it affected a lot of our bear viewing trips as well because the bears are really hot. So they would go up into the hills and they were eating berries and stuff up there. So it was just really hard to um, accommodate our tourists that wanted to go see bears. It was hard for us because we couldn't find any bears because <laughs> we're not going to hike up a mountain and find these bears. We are on a time crunch, people. <laughs> like, well, come on, man. Uh, I just paid for all this. I want to go see that bear. I know. I know. I know. I'm sorry. I'm really intrigued by this uh, whole bear sighting thing. Like, I mean, I've, I remember seeing pictures. I remember you kind of like, I, you just like land. I don't, even, I don't even know where. To me, it looked like you landed like on the bed of a lake and you would see these bears. And I remember everyone was carrying these like huge guns in case they like came and charged you. But like, what what's the process? How does this go about? Where do you normally go to find these bears? 
So um, we will fly across Cook Inlet over to Chinitna Bay, typically. And uh, we've also got Silver Salmon that we go to. Um, and we land on the beach. Um, and, you know, actually, we'll just we'll go wherever the bears are. So if we fly over to Nina and there's no bears, then we'll go check out Silver Salmon. And, you know, finding no bears was unfortunately uh, a little bit of a problem this past summer. So we were kind of, you know, scouring for places to go. Um, and we've got another beach down south in Hallow Bay that we go to as well. Um, but yeah, so we'll land on the beach and we'll unload the passengers and um, everyone's got waders on and we'll basically uh, just go hike and find some bears. We're, uh, all the pilots are trained bear guides. So we get, we get trained before the season starts. And um, instead of guns, we actually carry flares. These bears have been exposed to human interaction for decades. So they're actually used to us being around. Um, the little adolescent bears are a little more curious. So they are, tend to be the ones that give us the most problems, <laughs> which is fun. Cause you know, you got to keep it exciting somehow. <laughs> um, <laughs> Until mama bear comes but, after you guys. That's not fun. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I, I've actually never seen anyone use a flare my chief pilot has only had to use a flare once and it was because the bear claimed our airplane as a plaything. So it was actually climbing on the airplane and uh, he was playing ring around the airplane with the bear and he finally had to get out the flare and scare the bear away. You know, got to get home somehow. So this is crazy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's always an adventure. That's the best part about it. This is like normal life for you. You're telling this like it was like a Tuesday and I'm over here like, Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. 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 So how do you, how do you spot the bears? You just kind of fly over and you circle and you're like, Oh yeah, there's a bear. Let's go land. Or is it like, Oh, we saw 15, we saw 10 bears there. Like you got about 30 minutes before they probably go out. Is it kind of like a, how, just how do you even spot the bear? The bear activity is highly dependent on the tides. So, um, there's an extreme high and low tide here, um, can differ between like a 20 foot high to like a negative five or maybe even 10 foot low. But like, it's insane. Um, you could like walk a mile out into the ocean and still like not hit the ocean because it's low tide. <laughs> it's pretty insane. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, so the bears are highly dependent on the tides and depending on the uh, time of year it is like in June when they're just waking up from their hibernation a little bit earlier than that, but around and they're um, usually pretty happy with the sedge grass in the fields. And then towards the end of summer, they uh, like the salmon. So there's salmon run. And um, if you follow like Dion Mitten on Instagram or anything, um, there are a few bear accounts too. He posts videos and pictures of stuff or pictures of bears um, feeding in Katmai National Park. Um, so they do a lot of fishing out there, the bears, I mean. So it's pretty cool. That is cool. I remember seeing, I couldn't remember if it was your videos or his videos that I'd watch. And I was just like, this is wild. You guys are just like, you guys are pretty close to the bears, like not far away at all. Yeah. I think the closest I've ever gotten to a bear is probably the bear is walking past me like 10 feet away. Yeah. And it's just like, like I said, these bears are used to human interaction. So they're used to us like being there and they're just not bothered. They've got abundant food sources where they live. So they don't 
view us as food. And if we don't leave food behind, they don't associate us with food. So it makes for an awesome bear viewing adventure. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I'm gonna have to come up and do some bear viewing. <laughs> you should take the city boy up and see some bears. I'll probably run back to the plane and go hide. Be like, no, <laughs> you kidding. can if you want, but I, that's <laughs> no, not going to be very fun. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, yeah, that's really cool. I mean, it's just really cool to see how aviation can be used and the different outlets that aviation can, can do. I mean, Alaska is such a different world essentially, like for how aviation works. And it's just so cool to hear those stories and hear that it's not just taking people from point A to point B. It's kind of getting to know the people you're flying, getting to know the people you're helping. And it's also being able to have experiences like going to go see bears and doing this really cool stuff. So now that you've been up flying around Alaska and kind of doing the the whole bush thing, uh, which is awesome, by the way, um, what's kind of your, what are your goals? What's, I know we talked about being a missionary pilot, but now between then and now, do you have any other goals and type of flying that you'd want to do? Ooh, um, you're asking all the good questions. Um, (laughs) I try, I try. I, (laughs) um, I, honestly don't really know. Like I have a lot of things that I really want to do and I really want to try, but coming up to Alaska and kind of flying the bush and having this grand adventure was really what I wanted to do. And now that I'm here and I'm doing it and having the time of my life, I uh, don't exactly know what, uh, what I'm supposed to be doing next. I, um, like I said, I am pursuing a Bible course right now. So maybe mission aviation um, flying will be in the future. Um, I don't know. I honestly have no idea. I've been doing a lot of job research lately, um, but I just know that I want to continue just loving what I do. That's awesome. So that's all I can give you. <laughs> no, that's good. I mean, that's the only thing that you really can do because I remember kind of in the, my time building stage and even when I was out of my time building stage and there's just so many options of what I could do and I could find it kind of kind of scary and intimidating because you don't want to make the wrong choice. You know, it's kind of like, well, if I do this and I'm going to say no to that job and that could lead me down this track and to this and you could find yourself doing something you don't want to do very quickly. So it's definitely kind of an intimidating time to be where you are right now with kind of a future that can be so open and whatever you want to do. Yeah, absolutely. And I've been um, praying about it and I've been very patient with it. Like I've still got, I think, nine months before my uh, commitment with my company is up. So there's absolutely no reason for me to be anxious or worrying about that right now. Absolutely. Do you think you could go back to California and fly and like do like normal flying now? No, no, (laughs) no, (laughs) not at all. It, the Alaskan way of life is just incredible. I mean, I've done some things up here that I, if you told me a year ago that I'd be doing, I'd be like, no way. That's insane. Like I've learned how to uh, butcher a deer that's crazy. Um, yeah. It's, um, yeah. What else have I done? I don't know. It like, it, it's just kind of insane. You know, um, I've, I've hiked up to a glacier lake before. Um, I, I mean, now that you asked me that question, I, there's not a lot of things that pop into my head because I feel like I've just kind of been, you know, like, Oh, this is just life now, you know, but, um, do you, yeah, wanna, do you really see cool yourself stuff. wanting to stay in Alaska forever now? Um, if I were to live in the United States, yes, <laughs> but with the possibility of working for um, a Christian organization flying overseas, maybe like Africa or something, like I've been looking into jobs in Africa, so I think that would be cool. But 
it, like in the US, yeah, Alaska is where it's at. I have two friends that I flew with at my freight company who fly, I believe in Kenya, and they do that. They oh, fly, really? I think they fly caravans maybe or two of sixes, caravans. Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. So I think it's either called like AIN or AIM, maybe one of those two. I don't know. Huh. You'll but have to. After this, Talk I can to me more, more about that later. Yeah. Yeah. I have some, I have another buddy who I flew with at that freight shop too, who flew in Indonesia for 25 years. And he was kind of like the, he started it out there. He did a bunch of cool stuff out uh, there. So I got some contacts for you. <laughs> cool. That'd be yeah, awesome. Sweet. Well, hey, I have a quick rapid fire section for you, real quick, where I'm just going to ask you a bunch of okay. random questions about aviation and you have to answer them as quick and as fast as possible. As fast as possible. Yes. All right. All right. So, you ready? Uh, as I'll ever be. <laughs> what is your favorite general aviation airplane? J3 Cub. What's your favorite? Do you have a favorite like corporate or airliner? No. <laughs> what is the ugliest airplane you've ever seen? Oh, oh no. Um, I don't know. Uh, if you don't the know, ugliest? we're just going to say you think the Piaggio is the ugliest. Oh, well, I think the Cirrus is pretty ugly because it's got a parachute. <laughs> you only see it if it's deployed though I know but uh, just the fact that it's got a parachute I don't know ugly I don't know that's a tough one that's fine that's you don't really have to answer you honestly don't have to answer it not a big deal would you rather fly over mountains beach or the city ooh not the city probably mountains or a beach what is the hardest check ride you've ever had private my private was the hardest I've ever had why was it hard <laughs> just cause it was the first one yeah it was the first one you don't really know what's happening or what yeah. to expect um, so say you're going back home and you got to make a connection in Seattle or something. You need to get some airport food really quick. What's your go-to kind of food court airport food? Oh, I don't know. Uh, wherever the fruit cups are at. <laughs> <laughs> What's one thing you wish you knew before you became a pilot? Hmm. Oh, I'm sorry. This is going to be a slow answer. It's okay. <laughs> the magic of editing. Um. <laughs> <laughs> hey. <laughs> I hope you leave this in here just for that. <laughs> That's funny. Um, I don't know. No worries. If you don't have anything, that works too. No, I I need to have something for this. We'll come back to it. Okay. What's the hardest approach you've ever flown? Runway one in Anwalik. Uh, let's see. Do you like long trips or short trips? Short trips. I have to pee a lot. <laughs> Piper or Cessna? Um, I want to say Piper because Piper makes some awesome airplanes, but I fly the stationaries, so I'd have to go 50-50. There you go. That's fair. I mean, that, that is pretty fair. It's pretty much spot on. Uh, what's your favorite <laughs> thing about aviation? My favorite thing about aviation? Probably the freedom. Yeah. I love the freedom it gives you. Who's one person, who's one kind of maybe like public figure, person, friend, maybe you've already met them, but who's someone that you, w you would like to meet in the industry? Would like to or would have liked to? Both. So it can be dead, current, whatever. I think it'd be really cool to have a conversation with Don Shelton. Yeah. Cool. You don't really care about airlines, but I'll ask you anyway, what's your favorite airline livery? Paint job. Oh, uh, I don't know. Alaska Airlines. <laughs> <laughs> What's the oh, biggest win know. in your career so far? The biggest win. 
I'd say it's always a win overcoming any type of fear. I think moving to Alaska and just facing my fears of getting out of California and leaving behind everything that I was familiar with to move into the unfamiliar, that was a big win because it was the best move of my life. Yeah. Oh, I love that. And I'll end it with there. I'll end the rapid fire questions there. I just have one more question for you. You have someone that's listening to this. They're really interested in becoming a bush pilot or they want the experience that you have. What are some tips and maybe you can either do three or one or whatever. What are some tips and tricks that you would tell them right now to prepare themselves for kind of the Alaska life or prepare themselves to start flying in the bush? Um, I would say wherever you're at, like network with people who have either similar interests or people who have done it or people who have experience with it, like become their friend, talk to them, uh, just pick their brains. Um, and then I don't know, just like definitely. Hmm. I, I think that's the best advice I have is just exposing your, yourself to people who have similar interests and have done it because slide into people's DMS and ask them questions about how they did it. (laughs) Yeah. But not even necessarily that, you know, like, um, it's, it's one thing to like talk to somebody about it, but you know, if, if you can, if you can go out and actually do it, you know, do some adventure flying, you know, there's, there's super cubs down the lower 48. There's, um, I, I don't know. There's Taylor airplanes, but there's a bunch of people in Santa Paula that, you know, love going off field. They, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, there's, there's a lot of opportunity down there, I think. Um, but also reaching out to people up here that actually do it. If, you know, your goal is to go up to Alaska. Um, and then just, you know, if you want a job up here and you're ready to start applying, just apply talk to everybody network and, you know, make those connections. Absolutely. So. I a hundred percent agree. Brittany, you survived. I know that you said you're nervous early, I but survived. you did great. It is. <laughs> We're officially done. Uh, I appreciate you coming on the well, podcast. I think it's really cool that you're coming on and telling your story. And I think that'll help a lot of people. I really like that you kind of knew you didn't want to do the airline route and you never were tempted by it. And you're kind of create, are you kind of carving your own path in the aviation world? So it's really cool. Uh, thank you so much for having me. And that is a wrap of episode 93 of the Pilot the Pilot podcast. Aviation, thanks so much for taking the time out of your day to listen to this episode. And like I said earlier, shout out to Stuart Roderick for being the Patreon of the week. Go ahead and check out our Instagram page and please follow us there at Pilot the Pilot. That's where I'm the most active. That's where I communicate the most with listeners, with just people in the comments and DMs and post more pictures there than Facebook, Twitter, or any other social media platform. You can check our website out at pilotthepilothq.com. And if you want to be on the show or you know someone that should be on the show, send me an email, pilotthepilothq at gmail.com. Aviation, that's all I got for you today. As always, happy flying.